Hello and welcome to episode two of the Future Farming podcast, where we are bringing to a wider community the fascinating conversations we have in the programme with farmers and other people involved in farming and the countryside. And today we have the inestimable, brilliant Nick Renison, who, along with Renault and her partner, very kindly hosted me on a whistle-stop visit towards the end of last summer on their farm in Cumbria. I'm going to talk today about the sort of farming that Nick and Renault are doing and what they're learning and how they're approaching their farm. So welcome, Nick. Thank you very much for coming along today. Well, thanks very much for having me. I feel honoured. Not at all. The honour is all in the other direction. I was going to ask you to start off by telling people who haven't been to your farm like I have, what's your farm like? Where is it? What sort of landscape are we talking about here? What sort of farming are we talking about? So it is um, 350 acres on the North Pennines and we look at the Lake District. So Blencather is kind of out of our um, kitchen window um, we're, we're quite high um, I think the house the farmhouse is at 800 foot and we go up to 1100 I think um, we've got a mixture of uh, pasture land and then we've got 120 acres of kind of we call it allotment but it's not a garden um, it's like rough rough land that you can't drive a tractor on or anything and it's quite you've got some spectacular scenery up there haven't you yeah it's amazing it's amazing it, it's it's in comparison to the Lake District I would say it's bleaker the sunsets we see it's quite a vibrant place to live and there's um, we, we do have this thing called the Helm Wind which um, batters us when we get an easterly and we've just had it a couple of days ago for three days non-stop which um, is exhausting <laughs> yeah it must be exhausting and absolutely freezing yeah I mean uh, the wind the wind um, what's it called the wind chill was minus 15 Good which grief. I know it's just grim proper proper weather we were having some proper weather even when I came to see you in the late summer it was proper weather there was rain, if I remember rightly. Yeah, there's a lot of rain, wasn't there? Yeah. 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 So how, do, how would you describe how you farm on your farm? Because it's quite different to some of the others in your area, isn't it? Yeah. Um, well, since, um, and this is purely, how it came about was purely from meeting other farmers um, here and then watching YouTube and stuff um, with farmers abroad. But um, we, we, in, we came here in 2012 and we were relatively conventional for the first maybe 18 months. And then part of being here was we always knew we had to have other streams of income coming in. So we worked for a sheep genetic company and they were very, they were breeding grass um, bred uh, rams. And we, so we were, part of that was we we met lots of farmers who were really doing uh, they, they were kind of at the top of their game with their grassland management. Mm. So that opened our eyes completely to rotational grazing, um, the whole electric fencing, sorting out water systems. And it, it, what, what, well, there was a visit what Renault went to see these um, brothers in Northumberland, the Nellises, and he came back and he just said, what have we been doing? That They were his words with maybe a few swear words in. <laughs> and he said, right, we're going to do this. And since then, we've been in a rotation. So literally the cows, the sheep... Um, the chickens, uh, kind of the pigs, are, are never on one bit of land for more than three days. Um, so everything's always in a rotation. We we hold them quite in, in quite big groups, and they're always on the move. Um, and that's that's all to do with uh, that's kind of well. We've uh, now understand how grass grows, and um, before we didn't. We maybe we didn't probably think about it that much actually we don't yeah it was just something you know they were set stocked it's just a completely new different way of thinking and what are the benefits of doing that because it's there must be a lot of work involved in rotating every three days in that way all of those different animals benefits to you you grow well you grow much more grass that's the first thing things are generally 
they, they just grow better, I'd say. And they, you hold more water because you've got deeper roots. Um, but but then it comes a double-edged sword because we suddenly were growing loads more grass. So we thought, oh, we're going to go from 600 sheep to we ended up having a thousand sheep. And then the kind of wheels fell off. Why? What happened? <laughs> so, well, just because we just had we were just overstocked and right. we had a worm burden. Things weren't growing. So that we kind of got carried away that we could grow all this 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 grass. But then, and then we, we were greedy, and I think there was a bit of vanity in there, thinking that we we wanted to say we had a, had a thousand sheep. Mm. But we had a few, uh, well, one particularly hard year, and then since then we've been trying to find that balance, that kind of sweet spot between cattle numbers and sheep numbers. Um, and I think we're we're still probably got too many sheep. We're we're lambing three eighty this year, and we're probably gonna. I think we'll maybe go down to two hundred. Um, and it's just finding that sweet spot. It really struck me when I came to see you how sort of iterative and incremental and like entrepreneurial you are in thinking about how you do your farming. And it's, it's always like you're watching everything all the time and adjusting it all the time. Is that always how you farmed or is that does that come with this particular approach or what? I think it's a bit like a snowball. To begin with, I, I fought it a little bit. Renault's always been a little well he's always been a bit environmental i'd say um but i i was brought up on a dairy farm and it's all very production based and i've i always I take a little bit longer than him to come round so um the electric fencing i thought it was quite a lot of work to begin with and then i kind of understood it and i could see the benefit and now we're thinking of going into holistic grazing the tall grass grazing and i can remember we talked about that three years ago and i was like whoa whoa this is this is just a step too far i i can't get my head around this so it's it's a it's step by step and it is it's an awful word but it's a journey and you, you you've got it's just step by step and it's it takes time and you never probably will never get there. I think that's really lovely, that spirit of constant learning and improvement. Yeah. Improving. It's one of the things that I think is really inspiring about it. And it is the learning. So we we, we started doing um one of our kind of um gurus is a chap in America called Joel Salatin, who's got polyface farms. And his so we we've learned we, we do pastured broilers, so meat chickens um like he does and also we've got an egg mobile and it's just um having the confidence to try set up a new enterprise um and just try it and if it if it doesn't work well we haven't invested a huge amount of money in it but um but we've had a go and the more you have a go at things the more confidence it does it gives you to do to do more of that yeah when i came to see you you were still building the eggmobile and it was sort of half built in the yard but you've, <laughs> you've got it out there now haven't you can you say a bit more yeah. about what well, that is? it is well so it is a caravan chassis which um i love it uh, <laughs> and it, it's, it's on instagram it's it's quite a it took reno ages and ages to do and he cursed and cursed and he was yeah um so he, it's a caravan chassis and it looks um a little bit heath robinson but inside there's nest boxes and kind of perching rails and then the idea is that it's mobile so as the cows rotate around the fields the chickens so it's like 250 chickens in this um eggmobile and they're they they follow the cows three days later and scrap around all the muck and eat all the bugs and um and but the trouble is we started in october and it was going great and it was perfect and then december the 
12th, I think it was, avian flu, everything had to go inside. Mm, <laughs> so gosh, at the minute, yeah. um, the eggmobile is inside and then they go out into a shed, a, 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 like a straw yard in, in the daytime. But hopefully that will... Um, hopefully it'll have them back. What's the, what's the rationale for having them following the cows around in that way? It's that kind of symbiotic relationship between the... So the cows are um, in a confined you know area of the field. They poo and wee everywhere and then the chickens come around three days later and and they so they eat the fly eggs and uh, um just spread the muck around really they're kind of like uh aerating the soil and yeah um so so you, they do that job and as a kind of um they pay for that with their eggs and and their eggs are we're having a, a great time selling their eggs because they're just the quality is amazing because they're obviously on grass well and not at the minute but gen- yeah yeah. The other thing that's, that was I thought really interesting about what you're doing is how you're using hedges and trees on your farm. Can you say a bit more about that and kind of how, where you've got to when you're thinking on that? Yeah. So as I say, we've, we have this helm wind, which is just awful. And um, when we got here, there, there wasn't really any internal hedges on the farm. Um, so we've worked, well, we're in a HLS and we've just reinstated a lot of hedges um we've worked we've got a great chap at the woodland trust called pete leeson who's helped us a lot and we've just um yeah put a lot of hedges in with there so they're quite wide hedges and um they look there's nothing looks more miserable than um a double fenced area with a new hedge in it just and all you can see is the plastic tubes and i i find that quite depressing but um like we we planted a lot of hedges in 2014 and they look amazing now and it's just val- invaluable with sh- with the shelter that's the main reason then because they're creating shelter for the animals creating shelter and now because we're looking now because we've got quite a big field so we're looking now to to put hedges in to help with our subdivision for the electric fencing so you'll have them permanently divided yeah permanently divided and then we can use fences to then divide them those fields further um but it's just things like um the bird life and so we're trying to create corridors around the farm so you know everything can kind of connect yeah but the hedges are have been um i was quite negative about the hedges to begin with um but why well just because we paid paid a lot of money to buy this land then we were fencing it and (laughs) putting a hedge in it and i just thought oh but now i can completely see it yeah What's changed your mind? I think my mind has just changed. I got a total mindset yeah. change, total. And and that's where I can completely see when people maybe fight it a little bit because I've I've been there. And also there's a little bit of um you're a farmer, you should know how to grow things and I didn't really know how to plant a hedge. You know, the Woodland Trust right. kind of taught us how to do it and and there's just simple things that you kind of think as a farmer you should know. But I think these skills have been well we just lots of people haven't had a few generations of no one planting hedges. So you don't, you just don't come up learning those skills anymore. Yeah, I mean, my dad, he's what is he, seventy something, and he's he'll have never planted. Well, they've just put one in now, but they, up until then, he's never planted a hedge, and it's and it's just it, you know he's pulled hedges out, and because that was the thing to do, and it's it's um so it's not really the farmer's fault. It's just how, you know, th- how it's how it's been. Yeah, but there seems to be a shift now. It seems like the, some of these ideas that you're talking about. Do you think they are going mainstream now? Are they getting more picked up by others, do you think? Or is it still quite a kind of fringe activity, would you say? I think over the last maybe two years, 18 months, the whole regenerative thing has picked up pace. um, And that's amazing. Um, 
but I think we've got a long way to go. Um, but I think you do have to realise that it's it's going to take time, and it's taken well, it's taken me personally six years to get my head around it. So um, hopefully, people will be quicker learners than me. But <laughs> but there's testing and learning to do in every different situation, isn't there? To yeah. see how do you apply these techniques on your particular yeah. farm? Yeah, I, I just think we've 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 been purely production. It's just been production agriculture, and now um, I, I think we can we can produce amazing nutrient dense food and do the environment stuff as well and i think i think some people th- maybe think that we it's one or the other and it's it's yeah. absolutely definitely both because the the way we farm now is far more cost effective than we would have been if we if for us if we'd been conventional um, can you say that's really interesting because people often think there's a choice between being good to the environment and your animals and being being profitable don't they as well as well as the choice between productivity and the environment so to say a bit more about why why is it more cost effective to operate in this way? I think um it's just our inputs are less. So so we don't now we don't use any fertilizer, we don't buy any feed for the um cattle or, or sheep. Um things are generally healthier, so our vet bills are less. We've yeah, I, I just and our output is less, but but it's but our um those inputs are much less, you know, that, that, that it's, it's, it's a, it's a positive outcome. So, um, I think, but then we have invested a lot of our time in kind of learning new things. Um, and there's much more of a thought process and now we'll go out and kind of look at things more, which sounds a bit waffly rather than just jump in there with, with, with a drug or, you know, with, with inputs, um, so it, it's a much softer and thoughtful. God, it sounds very waffly. Uh, softer and thoughtful. It doesn't at all. Doesn't at all. It's a much more considered way of farming, isn't it? It's a much yeah. more thoughtful, deliberate yeah. way of farming. Yeah. It seems. Yeah. And you, you, when you say you had to, you had a lot to learn, so you mentioned following what Joel's following Joel Salatin, looking at YouTube. Are they the way? Are they the main ways that you learn? Watching YouTube videos, or are they other? Who else do you trust for information about how to do this stuff? Um, well, yeah. So Joel Salatin, uh, Greg Tudy, um, and there's an amazing chap called Richard Perkins who's in Sweden. Um, who's just? It's a tiny farm, but the stuff he does there is will blow your socks off. Um, so we've got that kind of um, YouTube side but then also we've created and mainly through twitter actually and, and how we met is it twitter is is a there's a great community on twitter where you can just message people and say like i had some people the other day asking me about the eggmobile so yeah it's that very open rather than kind of i think sometimes farmers possibly have kept everything inside this is a very open and everyone wants to learn from each other and you're going to make loads of mistakes, but that's that's not a big deal. I see that a lot on Twitter of people encouraging each other and saying, "Oh, don't worry, it's gone wrong this it's gone wrong this season. You can get it back." And kind of, it's always like willing each other on. There's a real community there, isn't there? Yeah. So, looking forward on your farm, do you have a really clear view of what you want to do over the next five or ten years on the farm, or will you take it kind of one year at a time and see what happens? I th- I think we have got a clear view. So, well, it's relatively clear. So the, so we've gone from producing a commodity of um, fat lambs and beef, and now we're very much we sell quite a lot of our food of our meat in boxes and obviously the eggs, um, and and we've gone from being a commodity producer to thinking of food, and we want to create produce really good food, and we want to sell it locally, um, and 
uh, sell it locally at a price that local people can afford? Because uh, there's lots of people that say with our chicken, oh, you should sell that to London. It's like, well, <laughs> don't really want to go to London with a chicken. I'd rather go down the road. Uh, so we want to be producing amazing food and sell it locally. Um, we're looking at possibly an acre of agroforestry um, and just get that in and just see what happens with it. What will you do with that? What will you do? It kind of stems in with the other stuff we're doing. So we want to do a bit of glamping. And I'm thinking um, we'll have this acre of apples and gooseberries and plums and whatever, red currants. And people can go then and pick their own stuff. But also then I, what I would love to do is have a few farmers doing that a, alongside veg as well and then possibly supply a cooperative and then have a shop in Penrith that just sold everything was, you know, local, locally produced. Um, that That's a little bit pie in the sky, but that's what I would love to do. And there are other people that are kind of thinking along those lines as well. Um, so I think it's all about local local food, which is kind of step going back in time a little bit. But uh, uh, it's, yeah, I mean, c COVID has just highlighted that so much, I think. Yeah, I think that's become much more important to people, hasn't it, during the pandemic and lockdown? People seem to be valuing local food production much more highly than they might have done previously. Are you finding that with your kind of local market and interest in your produce? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I, th I think it's... it's um, People are like, they go on about how amazing our eggs are. Well, but all they are is fresh eggs, yeah. you know, done at a relatively small scale. And it's, they're just fresh. <laughs> and, you know, our, they, they go on about how amazing our mince is. Well, it, it's just mince. That, it's, it's from cattle that are completely grass fed. It's been hung for three weeks. Um, it's done at a small abattoir. It's just simple stuff. Yeah. You know, it's not rocket science. It's just, I think, done right. Um yeah, really interesting. And coming on to the government's role in all of this, what do you think we can do in the programme that I'm working on that would help you over the next few years? If we, if we were to be doing something that was really, really helpful and, and helping you to do the things that you've been talking about that are good for your farm and good for the environment and good for the animal welfare, what are the most useful things we could be doing and what how, how should it look from your point of view? Well, for, from our personal point of view, it would be to... Um, with with the local food side it is supporting local processing so we have a real problem with a, our abattoir our closest abattoir it is an, an hour away and the one we use is actually further than that away that's that's a real problem it would be great to have a mobile abattoir it would um sim simple there's another simple thing so we want to we're looking at processing our meat chickens on farm and the rules for, for that kind of thing are only, with with the waste, water and stuff, are only designed for huge fact, you know, chicken factories. So yeah. everything's been scaled up. So if you go to, you know, your local um, agencies and say, oh, this is what I'd like to have a go at doing, or we're looking at this, that there isn't any rules for micro, uh, well, there is, but they're unrealistic right so it's getting it's it's have it's it's being able to um support innovation support ideas it's supporting young people to come into the industry and i i would love to see in in um six seven years time more small farms and well more farms in general really that that would be great brilliant and if we really pull this off, this is my favourite last question on these podcasts. If we really pull this off and we, we manage to 
successfully deliver everything that you've just talked about what do you what does farming look like in the next 10 years so we've got in 10 years time we've got more more farms what else is going on in this sector if we've really really been successful Okay, so it would be 20% of farms be growing veg fruit on, on their farm. There'd be hedges everywhere, honeybees everywhere, um, less, I'll probably upset people here, but less industrial farming. And, and, and for, for the whole farming community to be support, um, producing food that gets to the consumer quicker without that middle, the middle section taking out a huge chunk of the margin. Because I think as farmers, we get a poor deal because lots of people do sell commodities and we just get a really poor deal. So you end up with, with say, dairy farmers who um, they've invested hugely in in producing a commodity and they've got so much money invested. But actually, the return on that money invested is is relatively slim. Yeah. But it's because it's a commodity and it's going to, you know. But what you're doing, selling your selling your produce locally, that gets you that that shortens that supply chain, doesn't it? And gets you and that cooperative that you were just talking about, that would that would presumably really help with that set of issues, wouldn't it? Yeah, but it, the trouble is with that at the minute, it's it's very hard to imagine it happening. It's a hard idea to sell, but there's no reason why we can't. There's no reason why we couldn't along this fell edge or be growing an acre of veg. Yeah, um, but we, you know, we we'd need we. We need the support and the kind of help to, to do that. But it's com- it's completely possible to do what that. What support and help do you need to do that to, to grow veg? What more support? You, t- you told me that I was to, I was I planted my leeks wrong, I remember, Janet. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so... <laughs> just to be clear, I didn't just proffer that comment. You did ask me what was what was going wrong with them. <laughs> so people don't think I'm wandering around farms. Um, yeah, <laughs> pointing so... out errors. <laughs> So, um, well, no, I think it's just we we've done some veg veg gardening, but it's it's just knowing where to start, and it's yeah. it's having that support of maybe someone on the end of the phone or just just support yeah. to, to have the confidence to have a go with it. Because yeah. I said to I said to Reno the other day, if we if we grow an acre of veg or the agroforestry or whatever, just do an acre. Whatever we do, it's not going to bankrupt us. If it all yeah. goes wrong, we can just put it back to grass. It's not a big deal. So you start small and do small yeah, experiments. Just, yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for coming on the podcast with us today. It's been fantastic talking to you and lovely to catch up, with, particularly with the Eggmobile, which I'm particularly <laughs> fascinated by. <laughs> um, if you want to subscribe to this podcast and get it wherever you normally get your podcasts from, if you want to follow the Future Farming and Countryside programme in a bit more detail, you can follow us on our blog, um, defraforming.blog.gov.uk. Thank you very much for listening and thank you again, Nicola, for coming along today. Nice to be a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.